this morning, I just want to share briefly on a very simple topic. Remember God's love for you. And I want to start by asking this question. If, let me give you the, the background to my question. If you listen to discussions and you talk to pastors and you, you follow discussions on media and everywhere, people are asking the question around the reopening of churches. What is in the lips of most people, particularly pastors, is whether people are coming to church or not. Ne? Now, in the context that Runawi exists in, remember I was saying last week, as we are continuing, the online church is continuing. The Cosmos Church online is on what you are attending, other people will be watching later. So basically, it means today we have three services, right? So, then I ask myself this question. In the light of all the questions that other people are, and the debates that are going is, why should people come back to church? We may actually have good biblical reasons around let's not uh, give up the fellowship of the brethren and so on and so forth. We can come up with many scriptures about why people should come back to church. Ne? But for me, what is of critical importance is this matter. What should people miss about church that should bring them into the assembly of the rest of the saints. What are churches going to do differently when we come together? What is it that we did so long, either so right or so wrong, that the, the government didn't deem us an essential service when the the country was in a crisis. What is it that we are going to do right now that warrants coming together? And so, in my mind, I, I think we are mostly looking forward to the fellowship and the preachings and, and so on and so forth. But what we are not asking is, if people come back to church, what are they coming to do differently this time? You know this thing, we talk about it all the time. We talk about the priesthood of all believers, that the way we do church, that's not how God intends church to be. And because we are so comfortable with it, we yearn so much for an expression that in itself does not yield kingdom fruit. In other words, when we go home, people are not as equipped as they should have been. One of the contentions I've had that I still want to present to us, and 
I'm happy for those of us that are here. I'm happy for whoever is wherever they are. But what I still want us to contend for is should the church expect people to still come or the COVID has already highlighted and clarified more than the church wants to accept that the church is supposed to go and not wait for people to come. Will the church sit and then say, hmm, last week we were 20, next week, we, no, 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 no. Or would the church be able to say, what a privilege. What an opportunity. What an opportunity to actually realize that God, according to the book of Acts, and he added daily to the church those who were being saved. It was not a question of let's advertise and wait for them to come. It was a question of when the great commission is enacted, the church realizes its need for the presence of God, the power of God, and the obligation to fulfill the Great Commission. We realize our mandate when we start recognizing that the church is not supposed to self-market. The church is supposed to go and disciple out of the world. So, the reason I want to talk about God's love for you today is this. It's the fact that while so many things are critical, it is critical to see sinners saved. You know that. There is nothing more urgent than the gospel being preached. There is nothing more urgent. In, in, as a matter of fact, remember what we were discussing last time that Death for you and me and every other person is closer than any ambition we have. Because any person who dies had the plan for the next hour. But death proves quicker and closer to us than our ne next pursuit. So that's just how critical and how urgent the preaching of the gospel is. Yet what is seemingly also very critical is to see God's children who are not depressed, who are not uh, in a fallen state. When you walk around, you'll be shocked how many people claim to be God's children but no longer have the confidence of God's love for them. You'll be shocked how much of the gospel now is geared towards doing things urgently, as if competency, you know, achieves acceptance for us, or rather acceptance to the Father. Our Father expects competence from us. God wants a relationship, a loving relationship with us first. It is easy to talk about we are called to be in fellowship before we are in ministry. It's easy to talk about that. But when you start going around and you listen to the testimonies, you listen to how God's children speak, you, you watch their lives, you realize that what God's love is intended to mean for us is no longer there. So I just want to talk briefly on three or four things. 
the intensity of God's love for you, the intention of God's love for you, and the experience as well as the expression of God's love. So number one, let's read in the book of 1 John. In 1 John chapter 3, it says there, how great is the love, I'm reading from verse 1. The Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Another version says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. And that's the part I want to, to ask to, to process and think about. The Bible says, Fadime mapega. The manner, which means it is a, 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 a distinct type of love. It is a particular descriptive, a particular peculiar love. Hence, when you behold it, you need to differentiate it from every other love you may have experienced. But still, as a child of God, I may know that God loves me, but I don't know what is the manner of love through which God loves me. I know how God expressed that love on the cross of Calvary. But I don't know an experience, a relational experience in the light of my personal struggles right now. In the light of my personal loss. In the light of my trials and tribulations. I'm, I'm in a state where I'm asking myself, how long and how does this love work on my behalf? So let's go back to what you and I know. You and I know John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world. Now, Romans chapter 5 and 6 going that way. They explain the, the, the environment, the status and the state within which human beings were when God expressed that love, right? It speaks of the fact that whilst we were what? Sinners. Now listen, for God so loved, right? In a state of unlovableness. So if God's love for someone who hates him, according to the book of Colossians, that we were God's enemies in our minds. When you read in Genesis chapter 6, it tells you that the thoughts and the intentions of men's hearts were forever towards wickedness. The heart is deceitful above all things. And when people want to do good, they never want to glorify God. They do good for self-preservation and the pride of life. And in that state, God loved. Right? So now, God loves a sinner. He saves a sinner. Question. Do you think God... 
the intensity of his love reduces because you are no longer a sinner. What do you think? Think of it in natural way. We are given the right to become my children. God, when he speaks of Jesus as the de facto representative of us, who says, this is my son, whom I love, in whom I am well pleased, right? Now, in a de facto state, Jesus not only stands in our stead, but we stand in him. And then God speaks the same love over us. But this is a very strange love. It is a love and an affirmation that is spoken over Jesus before he does anything that we can say brings glory to the Father. The Father loves him because he's his son, not because he has already turned water into wine. Not because he's standing in, in, in John chapter 17 praying, Father, I have brought you glory by finishing the work. No. And listen to what it says. Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished. I don't know if you understand. Lavished. A lavish lifestyle. They live beyond their needs and wants. The extent of their provision supersedes what they need to survive and live. Hence, there is now no condemnation. Because the intensity of the lavish, of the love of God upon God's children is such that even what they do cannot extinguish, devalue, or diminish God's love for them. Let me confess my sins. I don't know about you. At one point in my life, I struggle with the idea that God loves me unconditionally. I don't know about you. At some point in my life, what I had, when I had messed up, I had actually struggled with the idea that the intensity of God's love is such that we cannot outsin that love. We cannot outsin that grace. Why? Because God's intensity of his love for us is informed by his intention. What is God's intention in his love? That whosoever believes in the expression of God's love in the form of Jesus Christ must not perish. Now perish in the in the context of biblical interpretation, does not just mean die. Perish means total destruction away, separated from God. Because we will still bodily die. 
When you read Genesis, when God spoke to, 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 to Adam, he says, when you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die, right? When you read it in the Zulu, what does it say? Uzofa nogufa. In other words, you will die and perish. Right? We are all on the same page, right? So in other words, you will experience death and decay as an exit route out of this world, but you will perish as an eternal experience of separation from God. Question. If the intention is to eternally secure people unto himself, what should be the intensity and the ability of that love to accomplish that mission? The intensity should match the intention. I cannot imagine someone who's like, I want to go and win a, a hundred meter sprint. And then they start jogging when the gun goes off. Surely the intention is there, right? But that intention does not match up. Or rather the intensity does not match the intention. So God's intention is matched by his intensity. And so when the Bible says, when we are unfaithful, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. It's precisely because the intensity of his love is such that God intends that we will never outsin his love once we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. I don't think you still hear me. Ne? Let me take a different approach. And so we are going to experience God's love. But people cannot walk confidently. You and I are struggling. In the midst of what is happening, people are more lonely than they have ever been. Have you realized that? People are more sad. Pastors are committing suicide. You, you, you just can see that what the Bible says, rejoice always. We don't have that virtue anymore as children of God. We don't have the virtue of the joy of the Lord is my strength. That thing of a, a child of God having a spring. Remember I told you the story about the guy that we went to a restaurant and this guy was serving us and he's happy. And, and mind you, we are pastors. This guy is a waiter. I don't know what is he in the church. And the way he's happy, he's singing and so we're talking with this other guy, we're like, hey, this guy, the way he's so happy. Surely, either he has won something or he's probably found a girlfriend. And me, not being me, I'm like, no, I'm going to ask him. So I ask him, hey, that guy, how are you doing? Oh, no, I'm okay. He's very, he's super happy. What happened? Uh, do you, have you gotten an increase? No, 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 no. Say, he's very respectful. Girlfriend, ah, no, no, I don't have one. 
and you are not happy. Okay, so clearly I'm misinformed, isn't it? Not or anything? No, no, no. So tell us. We are pastors, mind you. He says, you know, so, you know it's, it's, like, it's like I can explain it like a dove inside me. I can explain it like some fire of joy inside me. I, say, I, I don't know. I don't want to offend you. It's Jesus. Hey, you just offended me. Because here I stand, I proclaim, I decree and I declare child of God and a son of God and a pastor. But I don't have the joy that this guy has. That is, that's an indictment, isn't it? You see there you thinking, I lost it. I have become a servant in my father's house. I am just short of desiring the pig's food because I don't believe and I'm not confident in the unconditional, everlasting, ever-encompassing, ever-securing love of my father. I allow things that happen to dictate my view of my father's commitment to me. And I was just like, wow, yeah. You understand? And so, but here's what I want to clarify that. Why other people experience a greater joy because of the love of God? It's simply this. Number one is that when you read the, 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 the book of First John, John tells us that we love God because he first loved us. So in other words, you cannot love God except as a response to this unconditional love. You cannot, you, you can claim, I love God, I love God. No, God cannot be loved until his unconditional love has been experienced as a reality. Until you realize that you are accepted fully, completely in the beloved. Unless you can live in that total acceptance unconditionally, you cannot experience that love. Are you there, saints? Two, the Bible tells us that in Romans 5, it tells us, verse 5, that, that hope does not disappoint. Why? Because God has poured his love in our heart. So the second aspect of experiencing God's love is that you cannot respond to God's love without his love that is poured in your heart. And his love that is poured in your heart invests in the trustworthiness of God. So if I do not recognize Christ in me, the hope of glory, it's impossible to respond to that love because to respond to God's love, you need his love poured in your heart. Otherwise, you're always going to doubt because you know you are not always happy with yourself, are you? Okay, I'm just confessing my sins. I get annoyed with myself. There are things that I do and I think, how can you be so? It's as if I can take part of this, the foolish part of me and put it outside and work it, work it, work it. And just, I wonder if I would want to put it back. You've never felt like that. 
I'm happy for you. I mean, I sometimes feel like that. I make a decision or I say something, I think. Mm. Tom Cobb, that one was not you. Because I understand that I am wired to express what is above the natural. Okay, let me wrap it up with these two ideas. So when we are experiencing God's love from those two relations, what does perfect love do to us? Perfect love does what? Cast out fear. Let me ask a rhetoric question. So, what do you think the church is so fearful these days? Remember, I was talking that other time that God spoke to me about something that I have not developed the, the idea. He hasn't given me further things. I think I can develop it on my own. That's not a wise thing to do. About a fearsome church and a fearful church. That we are going the opposite of what the book of Acts church was like. The Bible says, people esteemed them highly, but no one dared to join them because the things they did made them fearsome. Great grace was upon them and great miracles were wrought with their hands and God added to them men and women who were being saved. Not who fell in love with the idea of salvation. Not who fell in love with the idea of a charismatic pastor with prophets with all these things. But men and women who were moved by an unconditional love. So when we are experiencing truly God's love, fear diminishes in our heart. But because we are loved, we tend to be more loving. Why is the church less loving? Let's use what has become a cliche. You cannot give what you do not. And in our case, you cannot express what you have not activated. Because all the things we need for us, God has already provided. Doesn't the Bible say that? His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us again by his own glory. So what you and I need, we already have. But we have allowed it to stay dormant in us. So if you and I are going to experience God's love, I have not gotten to a place. Let me just touch on it, but I'm not going to talk about it. Only people that truly have experienced God's love for them can love God truly. And what does it mean to love God? It says, and this is love for God, to obey his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Are you aware that you and I, we love ourselves so much that what God expects for us become burdensome. I told you before, the devil is too smart. He'll never ask you to choose between you and him. 
he'll always ask you to choose between you and God. And that is why Jesus wanted to give us an antidote from the onset. He says, if you are going to follow me, deny yourself. Because that's exactly where the enemy is going to put you. Where you have to live in self-preservation. Self-preservation is the, is the root of all believers' idolatry. Other people serve the devil, right? But Christians or believers, disciples, we don't serve the devil. We operate in self-preservation. And therefore, if it is uncomfortable for me, God must understand. That's our idolatry. Think about this. If I truly loved God, would it really bother me when Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commandments? Would it bother me? It wouldn't. But like I said, I am not experientially living in unconditional total acceptance with intensity beyond my sin of the Father's express love for me. Second guessing. I think today I've done well. God loves me. Tomorrow, I'm not sure. And the enemy comes. Clearly, you have not done enough for God to love you the way you think. And here I want to say to all of us this morning, God loves us. It's not a phrase. If you understand that, the word of God is living. I guess, I guess that's what we all know. You know that. You know that the word of God does not need you to to live, it lives. The word of God is personified in Christ. Can I also tell you, the love of God is living. It's not just a phenomenon. It's a reality that can transform you and I into a place of total obedience because we know even when we stumble and fall, the intensity of God's love for us suffices more than we need to be taken up. Marwana Wamudimu, they live in condemnation. Shall we stand up?